Recently, Mike Reifer, who's a Christian psychologist at Pine Rest and also a part of Calvary Church, sent me a white paper uh, of a study of mental health behaviors that was done. It's a pretty big study. It went from 2007 to 2017, or at least that was the data that they analyzed. And from my sort of very basic understanding of reading this report, they studied 28 billion healthcare claims over that period of time, looking for claims associated with mental health, trying to study how mental health has changed over that 10-year period. And the, the findings were pretty astounding, especially as it relates to the subject of anxiety. From 2007 to 2017, they found an increase of 217% of people who were claiming general anxiety disorder, meaning in their healthcare claims, this was what was listed for why they were requesting services. That was the largest increase of any mental health behavioral issue over that period. It was worse for high school students. For high school students, general anxiety disorder increased 389%. And believe it or not, it was actually worse for college students. For college students, it increased 441%. Now, this is before the pandemic. The study was just analyzing from 2007 to 2017. We can only imagine that things have gotten worse since then. It found that overall, 22% of all mental health claims filed were for general anxiety disorder. That's an incredible number. Almost a quarter of the filings for those who have concerns about mental health, it was related to general anxiety disorder. A more recent study, that one's pretty recent, but even more recent, a survey done by the American Psychological, uh, Psychology Association called Stress 2022, that's the name of the study, uh, they said this, oh, sorry, Stress in America 2022. They said this, quote, a battered American psyche is facing a barrage of external stressors that are mostly out of personal control. The survey found a majority of adults are disheartened by government and political divisiveness, daunted by historic inflation levels, and dismayed by widespread violence. One of the most salient statistics in this survey was that 27% of adults answered yes to the question that most days they are so stressed they can't function. And it was worse for people under the age of 35. 46% of people who responded to the survey said yes, most days they are so stressed they can't function. Half people under the age of 35. Anxiety, worry, stress is everywhere. Now, one of the things I thought most interesting about this Stress in America survey is they've got a whole bunch of things. You can scroll through it and see all the various things, how people are stressed out, how stressed out they feel about inflation, about violence, about government, about those sorts of things. But that was not the first statistic they listed. The first statistic they listed was that 70% of adults 
do not think people in government care about them. You might agree with that. (laughs) What I think so fascinating about that is they didn't start with what you might think is a cause for the stress or for the worry, but the fact that if there isn't someone who cares, that's at the root of stress and worry and anxiety. This is insightful because it's the same approach Jesus takes to talk about this issue of stress, anxiety, worry, and concern. He spends less time focusing on all the various things that might stress us out and more time talking about why we don't need to be stressed out because of who it is that cares for us. And against the bad news that government, business, society doesn't care for us, Jesus announces the great news that we have a Father in heaven who absolutely does care for us. And that, it turns out, makes all the difference. So this morning, let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we provide them in the racks in front of you because we think it's important. This is the word of God. We would love for you to hear it, to read along, to be able to see and listen to what Jesus has to say. Matthew chapter 6, it's page 787 in the church Bibles. And in just a minute, we're going to hear some of the most encouraging words in the Sermon on the Mount. As we get ready to do this, let me just say a quick note about terminology. During the sermon, I'm going to use the word stress, anxiety, being anxious, worry, the sort of what-ifs of life, the cares and concerns, rather interchangeably. And the reason why I'm doing that is I'm not claiming they're all exactly the same. But the same Greek word that's used in this passage is also used in other parts of the Bible, like Philippians 4, where it says, do not be anxious about anything. It's the same word that's in 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, cast your cares or your anxieties upon God because he cares for us. It's the same word that Jesus uses in the parable of the sower when he says, for some Christians, the worries and concerns of life choke out our spiritual life. It's the same word that's used to describe Martha when she is stressed and overwhelmed with all the guests that have come to visit. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and concerned about many things. So this word that we're going to look at this morning can get translated with lots of different English words. And when I use the word anxiety or anxious or worry or concern or thinking about the what ifs of life, we're talking about this idea that often things in our life cause us incredible amounts of stress and into a very stressful, very worryful environment, Jesus speaks these words. Verse 25, Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? 
And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, one of the problems with reading the passage as opposed to living 2,000 years ago when you could hear Jesus speak the words audibly is that it can be tough to sort of read the passage and get the tone right because we're not able to see sort of Jesus's body motion. We're not able to kind of hear the tone in his voice. We're not able to see his facial expressions. And so what we have to do is ask Jesus's Holy Spirit to help explain to us not just what the words are saying, but the sort of the attitude in which to hear them, the tone in which they were uttered. I actually think there are three choices for how this passage could be heard. Two of them are wrong, and I think one of them is right. So let's talk about the wrong way to hear Jesus saying these words. One possible way to hear this is to hear this in the thou shalt not worry angry tone. That if Jesus is, as if Jesus is saying that he is upset about all the stress and all of the worry and that this is a rebuke from God to you and I for constantly giving way to fear. I don't think that's the right way to hear these verses because earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about lust, he talks about anger, he talks about adultery. And when he talks about those sins, he's pretty black and white and he's pretty stark in what he says. He talks about the penalty for such things can be imprisonment and even being thrown in hell. Such harsh language is not present in our passage. Besides, Have you ever tried ordering someone who is anxious not to be anxious? How well does that work? This is not what Jesus is doing. Worrying can be a sin, but that is not the focus here. The tone is not an angry Jesus who is fed up with all the worry. There's a second tone you could hear this passage in, which I also think is incorrect. And that second tone we might describe as the don't worry, be happy tone. As if Jesus is saying, hey, look, guys, you're taking this all way too seriously. It's not that bad. It's all going to work out in the end. I don't think that's the right way to read this as well because look at the very last phrase of our passage in verse 34. Each day has enough trouble of its own. (laughs) Jesus is not saying there's no troubles in life. He is absolutely saying the opposite. Life is full of trouble and nobody knows that better than Jesus. In his life on earth, he was a man well acquainted with suffering. He understands and gets this is not how things are supposed to be. He even says, look, there is so much to worry about today, we can't even think about tomorrow. 
So in no way is he saying, hey, life's pretty easy. You're just making it super hard. That is not the tone that he is saying this in. After all, if there were no real worries in life, why did Jesus become human? (laughs) I mean, he has pushed all in to try to save us, to rescue us from suffering, from sin, from death, from struggle, from worry, from stress. The fact that Jesus is willing to become human is proof that life is too much for us. And so please don't hear this with a sort of unconcerned, dismissive tone of, don't worry, be happy. That's not the right tone to hear this in either. What I think is the right tone is if the first tone is angry and the second is unconcerned, this third tone that I think is the right way to hear Jesus' words is what we might call the empathetic tone. As if Jesus is saying, I know that life is full of trouble, but you don't need to worry. I've got this. I see what you're going through. I see what you're experiencing. I know how hard it is, but don't be afraid. You have a father who loves you. Don't be afraid. He's got this under control. See, the emphasis in this passage is not on about all the things that are going wrong, nor is it about on how terrible we are as people that we're always failing. The emphasis in this passage is on how much God loves us and looks out for us. Look in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Or verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Jesus is talking here about birds and about grass. And his point is, Nobody has to tell God to feed birds. He understands. He created birds. He gets that without food, they're going to die. And so the amazing thing, and I don't know if I thought about that until I was reading through this passage again for this sermon. Think of all the birds in the world. All over the world, God is on feeding them. That's his job. And all birds, God is providing for them food. Even though they can't work, even though they can't earn money, he is taking care of each and every bird that exists today. Same thing with grass. Nobody needs to tell God that the earth needs water in order to grow. He created it that way. He's on it. He knows what he's doing. He knows that if it doesn't rain, things are going to die. And so even though the grass is not able to do anything to provide itself with water, God does provide water. And Jesus' point is, look, if God takes care of the birds and God takes care of the grass, which he does a really good job with, how much more is he going to take care of you and me? It's interesting, when God talks about the birds and the grass, when Jesus talks about the birds and the grass, he refers to the Father as God. When he talks about you and I, He refers to him as our father. It's a stronger, more loving, more caring term. 
if God takes care of the birds, how much more will God, who is your father, take care of you? And so if we extend Jesus' analogy from birds and grass to parenting, I would say to you, nobody has to tell a parent to feed a baby. Of course, I'm not talking about neglectful parents. I'm talking about loving parents. Nobody has to tell a loving parent that a baby needs to eat. Nobody has to remind a parent that we're responsible for feeding children as they grow. We're thinking about it. We're on it. This is our job. When you have a child who has a food insecurity issue, which is a very real issue, Jesus' point is, is that they are worried about where food is coming from, but they don't need to be. What you would want to say to a child who is worried constantly about food, I know you need food. We're going to take care of it. A child who says, when's dinner? That's great. But if a child comes to you and has spent the entire day worrying whether dinner will be there or not, a parent would respond by saying, you don't have to worry about that. I'm worried about that. We'll take care of it. There will be dinner. We know that you need to eat. Likewise, this week, I got an email from a university saying that a second semester of tuition was due. I also got a text from a child who said, did you see the email? <laughs> to which I replied, yes, I did. I'm on it. I don't want him worrying about how to pay for the second semester of college. If he spent his whole first semester worrying day and night about that, that wouldn't help pay for the second semester. That's just him worrying. And if he had done that, he would not have experienced why God sent him off to college to live for the Lord and to learn some things. And so the point is, look, parents know we're supposed to take care of that kind of stuff. And I've been reading this passage a lot this semester thinking about that. Because ultimately it's not up to me either. It's up to God. This is what Jesus is trying to say. He's like, look, you have a father in heaven and he's on it. You can worry. Worry can be a sin, but Jesus' point here is, but why? It doesn't help. Now, you might have a question or a thought or an image in the back of your mind that the whole time I've been reading this, you've been thinking, yeah, but. And it might be you're thinking, but to be honest, I've seen a lot of dead birds in my life. <laughs> right? I've seen some dried up grass in my life. I mean, birds get shot by hunters. They get hit by, they hit airplanes. They're dead in the side of the road. If we never saw a dead bird, if you never drew, drove by a lawn and it was all brown, you would think, yeah, of course God's gonna take care of everything. He feeds every bird, he takes care of every bird, he takes care of. I have never seen a blade of grass that wasn't green. If that was the case, none of us would worry. But the truth of the matter is, if we're honest, when you see the dead bird, and then you hear this passage, you think, well, that could be me. <laughs> Which is why you got to have verse 33. If you don't have verse 33, none of this works. 
If you don't understand what Jesus is saying in verse 33, we won't understand what's going on in this passage. Look at it with me. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I don't know why sometimes birds have to die in order for God to advance his purposes in this world. And I don't know why that sometimes lawns have to go brown in order for Jesus to accomplish his purposes in the world. But what verse 33 is trying to communicate is that what is most important is that God's kingdom and his righteousness comes. And that the promise that God is making is that if you and I commit ourselves to his kingdom, he will take care of all of the rest of the stuff that we need in order to keep living to make that happen. It's not a promise we're going to live forever. It's not a promise that we're going to never suffer. What it is a promise of is that God always, always, always has our best interests in mind. But the problem is, is some of the things that we're most worried will happen are things that are supposed to happen because God wants to bless us and advance his kingdom. And some of the things we most worry might not happen that we desperately want to have happen, those are things we want to have happen, but they actually wouldn't be in our best interest and they wouldn't bring about the fullness of blessings in our life. And so verse 33 exists because Jesus is not making a blanket promise that you will never die, that you will never suffer, that you'll never have bills that you can't pay, that tuition will never be, he is not making that promise. But what he is making is that if you and I seek first his kingdom, if we do what he tells us to do, he will take care of the rest. He knows we need food. He knows we need clothing. He knows we need to take care of college tuition bills. He knows that we need to take care of, we have cars, houses. He knows we need these things. And he promises, I'll take care of it. And you and I worrying about it is not going to help any of those things happen. So what might this look like in some very practical examples? Let me give you four. First, it's the holiday season. And holidays are wonderful, but also can be stressful. And one of the stresses that happen in holidays is that sometimes family and friends get together and you can worry, be concerned, ask what if, be stressed out about, are all these people going to get along with each other? And the encouragement from this passage to you and I today is you and I worrying about whether they're going to get along is not going to help them get along when they get together. And verse 33 tells us, now hear this the right way, perhaps God doesn't want everybody to get along at Christmas. Maybe God is trying to show that somebody's not walking in the spirit. Maybe God is trying to raise the issue that somebody or something is not the way it ought to be. And he's not going to just gloss over all of these things. So how does this passage work with wanting everybody to get along? First, seek first his kingdom. Lord, what do you want to have happen this holiday season? God, if you want the whole thing to blow up, I don't want that. But if you want it, Lord, may your will be done. But he knows that's not what you want. 
He knows that what your heart's desire is is for people to be able to get along. And so if during the holiday season you feel the stress of what is going to happen when we get these two together at Christmas dinner, pull out this passage, read it, and be reminded. Hear God not in an angry voice. Why are you so worried? Not in a, hey, it's no big deal. It's a big deal. Hear God saying to you, I see the same things you see. I know what you need. I'm on it. Trust me. Or consider baptism. We had six people get baptized today. For some of you who might not be baptized, you might be thinking, well, that baptism would stress me out. Getting up in front of a whole bunch of people, that would stress me out. Having to write a testimony, that could stress me out. The spiritual warfare that might happen, that could stress me out. But listen, this passage is saying, if you choose to be baptized, you are seeking first God's kingdom. He knows you need protection from spiritual warfare. He knows you're going to need a testimony. He knows you're going to have to be able to get up in front of people. He will provide those things. The problem is, is we can't project what things will be like when we get to the moment because we can't project what will it be like when the Spirit shows up. And so all we do is we think about, well, when that moment happens, I won't be able to say this. I won't be able to do that. And God is saying, look, you worrying about it is not going to make it go any better. But I promise you, I won't abandon you when you get there. I will help you. I will give you what you need when you need it. Or third, consider the example of finances. Especially during this season, paying for gifts, for food, just the cost of inflation, utility bills. It can be overwhelming. What do we do when we're looking at the numbers and they don't seem to add up? You take out this passage and we remind ourselves, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. God, am I doing with things with money that you've asked me to do? Am I giving like you've asked me to give? Am I trying to be generous the way you've asked me to be generous? And then remember, Jesus says, blessed are the poor. You can take this passage and go back to God and say, I'm feeling rather poor right now. I would like the blessings. That is an absolutely valid thing to do. And then you read through the passage again and be reminded God knows how to do math. He gets that the numbers don't add up. He absolutely is on it. It may not go exactly the way you and I want, but it will go exactly the way you and I need it to go. And that you and I spending all our time worrying about well, where's the money for this going to come from? How are we going to, it's not going to bring in any more money to do those things. So pull out the passage, read it through. Don't hear angry Jesus yelling at you for being worried. Don't hear dismissive Jesus saying, what's the big deal? Hear a God who loves you saying to you, I see the same numbers that you see. I see some other things that you're not able to see. Trust me, I'm on it. I won't abandon you. And then finally, fourth, think about, okay, well, Christmas Day is coming. Christmas Eve, you got like, we got to figure out how to do all the schedules. There's some church stuff that we can do. We got gifts we got to get wrapped. We got to get to this set of parents' house, or we got to go see that friend, or we're not sure how all of this stuff is all going to pull together, and are we going to get to have time with the people we love, and will I have an invitation or somewhere to go? Seek first his kingdom, 
Lord, where do you want me on Christmas Day? What do you want me to be doing? What do you want me to be engaged in? And then remember, he knows we need fellowship. He knows we need, uh, we need to be blessed by being with other people. He understands Christmas is about giving gifts. He understands how schedules work. And when you start feeling stressed out about how do we make those days happen, read the passage. Don't hear Jesus angry with you like, man, why we, why we messed up another Christmas again? That's not the tone. Don't hear Jesus saying like, what are you worried about? This is all great. Hear an empathetic, kind, loving Jesus saying to you, I see you. This is super hard, but I'm with you. I'll take care of it. Don't be afraid. Let's pray together. Jesus, we just can't understand your kindness. Most of us are good at hearing an angry version of you. Many of us are good at hearing a dismissive version of you because we just project ourselves onto you. But you are infinitely kind. You are totally powerful, faithful, and loving. God, as we pray, as we enter into this holiday season, May we hear your kind tone resonating through our soul. You don't need to worry. I've got this. Thank you, Jesus, for caring for us better than we could ever care for ourselves. Forgive us for thinking that we could do your job better than you are. Help us as we go through this holiday season to seek first your kingdom and leave the rest up to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.